you know, um, there were circumstances that um, uh, Ron and the church had to face that had to kind of expedite things um, regarding their place of worship in the building. So and we said, well, you know what, you know, we're, this is going very well. There's no reason that we need to belab- belabor this any longer. So we kind of gave some li- limits and gave an opportunity to preach. This will be the third time he's preaching today. So this is part of that evaluation. So they, I know I've been blessed, you know, to just hear him. Um, I do feel like the Lord, um, knowing circumstances, I feel like the Lord is speaking through him. You know, I always, I always try to hear preaching. You know, I'm, I'm sick when someone's preaching because I want to hear God, you know, meeting needs and touching people as, as I understand needs around the church. And I've seen that the Lord do that. So, but, you know, I'm going to continue to thank God for what he's doing in our midst. Well, I hope that you're blessed by his saxophone. Amen. Um, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a last minute. I told him last night I sent him some inspiration by Kenny G. And it's amazing how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he sent me some, some inspiration back with Charlie Parker. You know, it's like. <laughs> And so um, it was great, and um, we know, you know we love music here. We love to sing, and we love to enjoy the Lord. And um, so, um, hey, if you play an instrument, you know, trombone, <coughs> you know, <laughs> there's a, a trombone. I'm not going to point any fingers with him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the lip popping, you know. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so it's been a joy. Um, I'm really grateful. And like I said, I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. Just the beginning as I was away, just dreaming and thinking about things that we, we, the Lord you know, would um, enable us to do. I'm looking forward to getting the children back little by little. There seems to be a lot of um, enthusiasm among the parents to bring them back. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're at the Lord's, um, you know, whatever he wants, he's the chief. Amen. And so anyway, just want to ask Ron to come up. And um, you want to use the, uh, the, the cordless? Amen. Yes, get that out of here. Take, take this paper so I can see it. Thank you. All right, everybody, God bless you. Good to see everybody. And uh, I'm going to, batteries in case I go weak, okay. Uh, we're going to go back to Corinthians. And uh, when we preached the first two times, I, I kind of started in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to get right to the kind of the meat of one of the issues that Paul was dealing with, which was this division. I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Cephas, right? And, and we saw where, where Paul came after these believers in a good way, right? There's a time to speak the truth in love, amen? If, if you just kind of never point out wrong in another believer's life, you really don't love them. You just don't. But there's a way to point it out. Speak the truth in love. And oftentimes, unfortunately, believers will point out things in a condemning spirit, right? So Paul here is, 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 is very adamant about pointing out when the Christian gets off of his or her walk. And we should be too. To one another, right? I, I was sharing this with uh, Pastor Emmanuel. You know, as pastors, like we need to hold each other accountable. Uh, I, I've been in large churches where like everybody's scared to say something. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, 
he's like the lead guy, so I don't know if we should do it. Is it contrary to scripture? We need to rebuke in love. And that's, I think, you know, one of the benefits of having a plurality of elders. You don't have one man going off and there's no accountability, right? Um, and unfortunately, I've seen, you've probably heard of various churches, pastors who have lost their ministry. And I always scratch my head. And one, one of the things we were thinking, I said, you know, I start looking at these men who have been in ministry 10, 20, some 30 years, and how does everything fall apart? And I know at least two guys who are in that stage, and I talked to them personally after the fall. I said, just, just be real with me. What happened? And my suspicion was true in what I thought it was, at least two of the main things. One, they said, my pride. The ministry became, it became about the ministry and not my walk with God anymore. I said, I appreciate the honesty. So what's the other one? Accountability. Accountability is not, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, man, whoo, I'm glad we got accountability. No, that's not accountability. Accountability is, Ron, how you doing? Good. Yeah, how are you and Monique? Good. When's the last time you prayed with her? Uh, bro, I said good. <laughs> what are you getting all up in my business for? See, that's accountability, and, and that needs to be among God's people. And if you don't have that among leadership, Satan just works his way in. We have to be willing to do church life the way God calls us to do it. Th this is his church, right? And so Paul, he writes them, and I'm going to take you back to the beginning of the book, to chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be. We started in chapter 3. Now we're going backwards. Um, because I, I want you to see what Paul lays down in verses 1 to 9. Because what he lays down in verses 1 to 9 becomes the basis for why he attacks all these other issues. Does that make sense? We jumped right into one of the issues of the vision. But I want to go back and look at the whole premise of this. Why is Paul addressing these issues. Yes, yes, because they're, they've got, gotten out of sync, but he's going to keep bringing the solution back to what he says in verse 1 to 9. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. I often say this, that if you forget what God has done through Christ in regards to your salvation, you will get off track. You will get off track. You have to keep coming back to the cross. What happened on Calvary's cross? Because what happened on Calvary's cross ought to be the catalyst for how I live my life. It, it all, like, just pulled all the way back to the cross. How I treat Monique, how I treat my kids, how I treat conflict. Like, everything has to be emanating from what happened on that cross. That's what makes the believer different than the non-believer. Amen? You can have a non-believer be great at conflict resolution. There's professionals to do that. For corporations, they come in and they teach team unity, conflict resolution. 
we had one of those guys when I was working at a corporation, and they said, hey, guys, we got mandatory training. Here we go. Got to come in for like 9 to 12 on a Saturday. Said, okay, why? He's going to teach team building. Here we go. And this guy comes in. He's saying, now, we all have gifts. There are some who are A's and some, and I'm sitting there like, oh, jeez. But let me tell you what. I found out that they paid that guy almost 10 grand to come in and do team building training so that our corporation could get better. And not one thing he said as far as communication, conflict resolution, not one thing he said you could not find in here. But do you think he get, gave any, any peeps to God? No. Right? So, so when we talk about team building, we would say a lot of the same things he said. But our basis for everything we do and how we live and how we think and how we resolve things goes back to who Christ is. That's the difference. And so Paul was going to lay out this foundational, a number of foundational truths that has to do with who you are in Christ. And then you'll see him switch gears and say, now in light of all that, let's talk about these divisions. We've already talked about the division, so we're going to go back now and look at the foundation. So let's ask God to open up our understanding. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is wisdom. And I pray as we walk through this text together that your Holy Spirit will convict us. You know where, where each and every one of us are in our sanctification process. You know the things we struggle with, the things that we're unclear about. Father, we pray that you would use your word to open up our eyes. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to study your word. In Christ's name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes. Now, what, why would I say our brother Sosthenes? Sosthenes, no doubt, was probably like his scribe or his secretary, if you will. Uh, a lot of times, Paul and in the ancient Near East, they would have scribes um, who would take the dictation and write down what they had to say. But notice what Paul says about himself. And you're going to see a couple of these words repeat themselves. Paul, what's the very next word? Called. Because Paul really wanted to go into ministry. Nope, called by the will of God. Like, stop right there and think about that. You know Paul's journey, right, on the Damascus Road. Was he headed to proclaim Christ? No, he was headed to throw more Christians in prison. And Jesus invaded his life. And he called him to be an apostle. One sent. One who is going to go and proclaim the resurrection and gospel and faith through Jesus Christ. Paul was keenly aware that what he was doing was not his gig. God called him to do it. Man, if men of God could just maintain that thought, this ain't about you. This isn't your ministry. That's why a lot of times when I talk to pastors and they say, well, my ministry, I say, ho, 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 ho. And I know what they mean. I know what they mean. But, I, you know, we all have those little trigger points, right? We all got a little bit of PTSD in us, I think, from different that's a trigger point for me. It's not your ministry. It's not your ministry. Okay? This is God's work. So Paul recognized he was called by the will of God. And notice what he says. To the church of God. 
So I wasn't called by myself. I was called by God. And whose church is it? God. I'm writing to the church of God, not the church of Paul, not the church of Cephas or Apollos. Again, if we would understand that foundational truth, you as blood-bought believers are God's church. It's not these buildings. It's us individually. We make up the church. Paul recognized his calling, but he also recognized that I'm writing to the church that belongs to God. Notice what he says, that is in Corinth. So this isn't even the church of Corinth. No, this is the church of God that happens to be meeting in Corinth. You see the difference? I talk to people sometimes, and they, they like to brag on their pastor. Oh, well, my pastor, he know how to bring that word. I'm like, what does that mean? We can begin to idolize people so quick and forget, no, this is, this is God's, God's church. If you walk out more enamored with the pastor, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because this is about what God is doing. And Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. These are true believers he's talking to. Which sometimes, you know, you might scratch your head by the time you get to 1 Corinthians 5 with all the sexual immorality going on. These are true believers he's talking to. Shows us are prone to wonder, like the, 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 the hymn says, right? If we don't guard ourselves, we can easily begin to yield to the flesh and not to the spirit. But he's reminding them, to those who are sanctified in Christ, you are set apart by virtue of what Jesus did on that cross. You're God's. Called, there it is again, to be saints. So not only am I sanctified because of the blood of Jesus Christ, set apart, but now, okay, yay, no, there's more. <laughs> You're called to live a certain way. Amen? Here's the difference. People mix this up. They take, well, if I live a certain way, then I'll get the sanctified. No, that's backwards. If I live a certain way, then I'll become a child of God. No, that's a work salvation. Because you are sanctified, because Christ is in you, now live accordingly. And by the way, with the Holy Spirit in you, you now have the power to do that by his grace. Are you going to have struggles? Absolutely. Read Romans 7. But Paul is setting, and again, you know, we've kind of already showed you the cards a little bit because we dealt with what, the, what one of the issues are, right? Division. But see how he's setting it up before he goes to the problem? Do you understand who you are in Christ? You are sanctified. You're called to be saints. Here it is, together. Wow. So he's promoting the unity of God's people. The unity of God's people, notice that is rooted in what? What Christ has done. Now notice, this is just the greeting, by the way. Look at all the theology he packs in the greeting. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name. And here's something else you're going to keep seeing, the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, right? 
because he's raised you for me. But he says that through Christ, you're called to be saints, you guys together, but also even globally with all the saints who call upon the name of the Lord in every place. What is he saying? There's no dichotomy here. We're all one. You're no less of a believer and called out saint than the people worshiping in Brooklyn Tabernacle. You're no less a believer. You have no less clout than a believer that you fill in the blank. So-and-so church. You, you understand what I'm saying? Guys, we need to catch this. Sometimes I meet believers and they're proud of where they go to church. Now, let me ask you a question. Should you be proud of where you go to church? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. If being proud, you mean, I just love that group of people that I, I work with. Because that's the love we ought to have for one another. But oftentimes, that's not what they mean. They're proud of where they go to church because of the size of the church and who the pastor is. That's a problem. That's a problem. We are all one. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is no class of Christians in God's eyes. Do we believe that? And so he says, listen, you're called to be saints along with everybody else who got in the same way through Christ. <laughs> We're all the same. Now, later on in 12 and 13 and 14 in the same book, he's going to talk about the spiritual gift. They had a problem with that, too, right? Boasting, dividing and fighting. Well, I got this gift. Well, I got this gift. You see why he's laying this down in chapter 1? You've got to start with this unified mindset of who you are in Christ so that we do life the way God has called us to do. Notice what he says. All who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our master, our kurios, the, the, the one with whom we bow, right? Is he your master? Oh, I believe in Jesus, big dog. Okay, so do the demons. You got to get in one heart. What does it mean when you say you love Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is, is that what is always in the thinking of your mind as you do life? He is my Lord. He's my master. I want to please you. Or is it just this kind of like religious figure? Like, I know he died for my sins. Okay, good. Now, right? We, we, we can kind of li live in this spiritual discontent. Uh, uh, discontinent. How do you say it? Not discontinent. Say the word. <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Spirit, thank you, cognitive dissonance, dissonance, right? I should know this as a counselor. I know the word, I can't say it. Dissonance, yes, okay. We say this, but our life looks like this. There's a separation. A lot of times people will struggle with that in the mental health field. Here's reality, but they think this way. And you got to bridge the two back, right? Jesus Christ, at one point in his ministry, when a group of people said, Lord, he said, stop. Why do you call me Lord? And you do nothing but sin. Wow. Jesus is not interested in lip service. Jesus, I love you. Stop. Why do you call me master? 
and you don't do anything I say. Now, again, he's not advocating perfection. But if I say that I love Jesus and he's my Lord, my life, also, it ought to look a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. And I love those people when I try to challenge them. Well, come on, brother, we all got issues. I say, yes, we do. I do, too. But I feel like you kind of skirting. Like, so what should I see in your life? Okay. <laughs> we all got issues. You're absolutely right. Should I see any fruit in your life? Oh, see, you're going to judge it. No, just answer my question. And by the way, that is a misnomer. The Bible says you ought not to judge. That is not true. Nowhere did Jesus say that. He said, judge a righteous judgment. He said, judge after you judge yourself. Take the speck out of or the beam out of your eye before you take, right, the speck out of somebody else's eye. What does that involve? You judge it. So let's, let's do away with that. Because a lot of times I think Satan uses that even in the hearts of believers so that we don't change, that we stay complacent in where we are. Now, again, speak the truth. How? In love. But love says I got to come alongside my brother and say, hey, man, that, that doesn't line up with Scripture. That doesn't line up with Scripture, man. He says, verse 3, grace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, putting them on equal standing. God and the Lord Jesus Christ, one in the same distinct person. Amen? But notice the greeting he gives, which is not a typical greeting. Normally, the, the greeting in, in this time would just be like greetings. But no, now it's Grace to you and peace. Shalom. Every Jewish person that heard that knew the impact of that word. It wasn't just like peace be upon you like, oh, yeah, I just felt it. Oh, I felt warm. You know? That's not what he's talking about. There were so many nuances around this word shalom. The, big of the, the most important one being peace with God. Shalom. Peace in the land. When God brought Israel and gave them peace because of part of his covenantal promise. That's all wrapped up in this word. But how much more for you and I, where God says what? In Romans, because of Christ, you and I are no longer the enemies of God, but we now have peace. We are at peace with God because of Christ. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me when life doesn't go the way I want it to go? What does that mean when trials come into my life? Is the peace of God, the peace that I now have with the holy God, is that enough? It ought to be for the believer. And so he says, grace to you and peace. Reminding them it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you now have peace with a holy God. And if I recognize that it's because of the blood of Christ, that I no longer have to fear the wrath of God? Why can't I speak peace about that? Wow. You see, he's setting up the theological reason, the biblical reason why the things he's going to address later should not be going on. I'm convinced whenever I get off track, and again, if I start acting in the flesh, I'm losing sight of what happened on Calvary's cross. I don't realize what Christ has done for me. 
A lot of times in the counseling setting, a lot of times people are going through some difficulties and they say, you know, you, you don't know me. You don't treat me any kind of way. Okay. And they're talking about their spouse. Let them do it again. Watch what I'm going to do. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, you, you say you're a believer, right? Oh, yeah, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he clothed me in my right mind, started me on my right way. Oh, hallelujah, I love Jesus. See the dis, what's that word? You see the dissonance there? But you're sitting here saying you don't mess with me and you dare your husband to do that again and, and you're going to take matters in your own hand. I, I have a hard time rec- reconciling that. We're all guilty of it, guys. We're all guilty of it. To be reminded of the grace and the peace that I have through the suffering of Christ in the resurrection ought to have bearings on how I respond to you relationally. Ought to have bearings on what comes out of your mouth when that guy cuts you off. Let's just keep it real. When your boss asks you to do something and yet there's no accolades that you get or it's unfair, the raise they promise, they don't give it to you. Family members are writing you off. Like Whatever the situation, do you understand you have grace and peace? That ought to be enough to make you This is hard, but I'm going to navigate it with the mindset of what I got in Christ. This is what Paul was advocating. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. You see how he's reminding them of what they have in Christ. Now why? Why, why? why, Paul, are you always giving thanks? And why are you always praying? Paul prayed for the believers. It's one thing, every time I read one of his epistles, and it, a lot of times it starts off with him saying that I pray for you. Especially in Philippians. I'm earnestly praying for you that you might grow in the wisdom and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do we pray that way for one another? Don't answer. Do I tend to go to God first with my request? A lot of times I do. Do I go to God first and pray for my brothers and sisters? We need to be challenged by I think one of the reasons that the division started in this church, because they weren't praying for one another. It takes discipline to pray for one another and get the camera off of you. And what if they were really praying and striving together for the faith with one another? Would the division had opportunity to even get in? Paul says, I give thanks to you. Now, Now notice what he says. Always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge. Now again, this is going to be something crucial further in the book. Why does he bring up speech and knowledge? Because one of the things that they're arguing about is who has the most wisdom. I like the way Apollos preaches. I like the way Paul preaches. So not only were they infatuated with this idea of wisdom, and eloquent speaking, but then when we get to the chapters on the gifts, you see the abuse there. So is 
is, is he saying in this initial part of the letter, look, you are already enriched in Christ. The giftedness God has given this local body. Why are you guys dividing and tearing one another up? Everything you need, you have among you. This is the case that he's laying down, which he's going to expound later in the book. You're already enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Look, I know you are true believers. I, I know that, that you know what Christ did and you embraced him. Amen. But your behavior is not matching what you know Christ has done for you. I know that you know what you ought to be doing. So now he's calling or he's writing to these new Christians. You need to get back. Notice what he says. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. You Corinthian believers have all that you need because of Christ. And not only he's going beyond your salvation here, because now he says you're not lacking in any gift. The charisma, right? The, he's going to expand on the gifts in a minute. So he's saying, like, you got everything set up because <laughs> you're God's people. He saved you, sanctified you in Christ. You're justified in Christ. Now you're all one, and then he dumped a whole bunch of gifts on all of you guys that you might build one another up and proclaim him. And what are you guys doing? Fighting. Stop it. Stop it. And notice what he says. So that you are not lacking in any gift. Now again, when he goes on to talk about the gifts, one of the issues is what? Jealousy and strife. And part of that was over the gifts. But what did they forget about the gifts? Who gave them the gifts? God. You're not lacking. You got exactly what God wanted you to have. Why are you looking at your brother? Well, I, I, I don't have that gift. I kind of wish I was like, I had that gift. Then I could really serve Jesus. Stop it. So then you start, because you're jealous, you start saying, I probably do it better than him. You know. Do you see how Satan gets in? And Paul says, stop it. Each and every one of you have been gifted by God. Pray, God, show me. What is it that you gave me to do what? For my self-enrichment? No. He goes on to say the gifts have been given to encourage and edify the body. Stop looking over your shoulders at what other people are doing. You've got everything you need. Man, that we would cultivate that and say, Lord, you've gifted hope. We're your church. You, you gifted us. God, what's mine, Lord? What's mine? Notice what he says. You are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so in other words, while we are here, left by God to do the Great Commission, to proclaim everything you and I need. Guys, do you believe you have it in Christ? I mean, do we believe that? We have his word. Holy Spirit is in us. We're sanctified. He gave us gifts. We're called by him to do his will. 
All we got to do, get unified and say, master, what's the next move? <laughs> That's all we got to do. It's not complicated. What's the problem? Us. Man, we get in the way. We start thinking that there's things we need in order to do what God has called us to do. Um, you're lacking in no gift. Yeah, I know, but if we had like a little coffee shop over here, I think the people would really come in. See, don't get me started. Look, I'm not against coffee. I'm not against coffee. I'm not against coffee shops. But there are things you got to understand that, like, I've sat in these, these are real meetings with real deacons. And I sit there and I just bite my tongue. All that the Father draws will come to you, as long as you have a coffee shop. I don't think that's what the verse says. I don't think a coffee shop or the way a building looks is going to stop the drawing of a holy God of his sheep. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. And maybe instead of spending three hours to talk about design on the coffee shop, we fall on our faces and pray to God. Now, again, I'm not against coffee. Right? But guys, we we have to keep we have to keep a biblical perspective on what church ought to be, and what we're called to do. And again, you say, "Oh, you're just a bitter old man because you've been around so long, and you just now want to criticize everybody." No, that's not it at all. I've been in many different ministries: seventeen years suburban ministry, thirteen years in the city ministry, and they both have done things wrong. And I'm sure Hope's community is going to do things wrong because we're imperfect people. But we have to be unified on what the main thing is. We have to be unified on what God has called the local body, his body to be. And we can't let it be usurped by this business model mentality that if we build it, they'll come. Show me that verse. Show me that. No, I'm going to tell you what he says. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, right? Guys, we've just, I think the American church has just given way and opened the door to corporations and said, could you come and show how these blood-bought people ought to do ministry, please? And the corporate guys come in and say, yes, we'd be glad to do that. Oh, here's my card, and there's my fee. And now you have churches with all of these professionals coming in, showing you how you can do evangelism and how you can, okay. And I just, I'm like, really? Really? Our market analysis at Allentown shows this. Again, I recently had, <laughs> had a pastor who reached out to me again. Wanted to know how things were going now. I said, great, brother. He looked at me, he said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, you guys, got, you guys got your own building yet? I said, nope. Matter of fact, about to get kicked out of the building. He's like, oh. So th things are really going good? Yeah. Really? This is a pastor. I said, we meet, we pray together, we worship, we get in the word of God, we have a time of testimony and praise. Things are going You know what he said to me? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. But how many people are coming? 
That's the problem with the American church. Because if you don't have the right number coming, there's something strategically, market-wise, you're not doing. And this same brother, love him, love him, I can go out and witness with him, kind of made his final offer to me. I can tell you this story. <laughs> made his final offer, showed up at the school. I'm in there working, and I look at him, hey, Pat, how you doing, man? Hugging. about go to three services now, about a thousand people. Well, praise God. And he said, um, thank you. He said, you took on the whole gospel. Anybody know what the heck that meant? He said, and I thought of you. <laughs> I'm like, like, which part of the ten conversations did you not get that we've had over the last ten years? This is not about me. This is not about branding. This is not about, and then, so, so he, he, here's how Satan works. You know how he works. So he said, I'm going to put the big carrot up there. So he looked both ways, because my secretaries were there at the school, so he kind of looked to make sure they don't get anything, kind of stepped in. I just want you to know, and I'm supposed to let you know this, so I'm letting you know publicly. Because <coughs> she knows who I'm talking about. You and Monique will have no problem talking to you. And he's in heaven. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to like, I, what, what do I say to him? I, I don't want to, I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to, but I'm, but, but part of me, my heart sank. My heart sank. Yeah, you're not getting it, dog. You're not getting it. And I said, man. You know, I love you, and I appreciate you, brother. And uh, I said, golly, $5,000. And it was almost like one of those movies, like play the music. Like, do, 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 do. you know, he was like, okay. So this is it. Like, we got to move on. I'm like, please do. <laughs> you know what I'm like? But, but if you're feeling so generous, you know, you can drop a check to Hope Community so we can buy some backpacks. You know, uh, call my secretary, see if you get a meeting with, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, come on, just keep it. Guys, it's not complicated. And again, please, I, I hope you're not mishearing what I'm saying. I just want to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. It's the unity of the saints. It's how we treat one another. It's the love we have one another. It's the prayer. It's not about buildings and programs and coffee shops and all those kinds. Now, does that, so are you against if we actually have a call? No, you're not hearing me. But if you think that if we have a coffee shop, people will come to Christ, you don't understand Scripture. If you think because the parking lot is repaved and we have a digital sign that that will draw them in, you don't understand Scripture. And that I'm not going to apologize for. Now, if you want to get a digital stuff, go get it. Can you afford it? Is that the best use of the money? But I'm, a, I'm just showing you my car. I'm being real with you guys. I'm going to be one of the big vocal guys who are going to be like, so you want to spend $30,000 on digital signs? We got three missionaries in Africa we give $100 a month to? Uh-uh, ain't going to convince me of that. Not going to convince me of that. You understand what I'm saying? 
These people got off track. I pray to God that we stay on track. And if we start to get off track, we would do what Scripture says, speak the truth in love. So verse 7, you are not lacking in any good work. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we wait for the second coming of Christ, did you hear what Paul just said? Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, you have. For how long? Until Christ comes back. Wow. There's no greater level? Nope. There's no strategic thing we need to know? Nope. You have it all. Use it. Stop fighting. Stop with the jealousy. And this is where Satan is having a field day. You know, Satan can just stand back and watch the church tear, tear itself up. Right? These Christians can't even walk in unity. All right, we got to wrap up. Look at what he says. I love verse 8 and 9. What does he say about, again, notice he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who will sustain you until the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why I believe you cannot lose your salvation. If I lose my salvation, God did not sustain me. He says he will sustain you. So on my worst week, when I'm just haven't been in the word, been grumpy, mad at the kids, mad at Monique, lock myself in my car, just listen to my jazz, blast it. I don't want to be bothered. Manuel on the phone, tell him I'm working. My work, <laughs> I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I know what he's thinking. Wait, he did tell me he was working. <laughs> to know that in my worst times, when I'm not yielding to the flesh, or I'm yielding to the flesh and not to the spirit, man, sometimes I crawl back to my Bible and open up and just read verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Not because of me, but because of Christ. God will accept the payment that God sent. No reneges. It's all of faith in what Christ has done. And then verse 9, God is faithful. Am I always faithful? Ask my wife. No. Am I always walking the way I ought to walk as a husband? No. As a father? No. Am I? No. But thank God that that doesn't predicate my standing in God. It's Christ. That's the security of the believer. Now that truth ought to permeate through me and cause me to fix what I need to fix and not being a godly husband or a godly father. You see how it works? We don't do what Romans says, shall I just keep sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. It's the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for me that propels me to want to do right. Because I'm already in, and he will sustain me, and I will be guiltless in that day because of Christ. What's that worth to you, folks? What's that worth to you? Is, is that worth you picking up the phone and talking to the person you've never talked to, the family member you wrote off? Is that worth you picking up the phone and getting some stuff right? It ought to be. Because you're going to stand guiltless 
before a holy God because of Jesus Christ. How dare us hold grudges against one another? Your standard's higher than God's? You see what Paul is doing here? He's laying down these biblical truths. God is faithful by whom you were called. Here it is again. Notice how many times the word called. Into the fellowship. Watch this. Of his son. Do you realize what you have? You've been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. So later on, he's going to say what? You are a joint heir. I don't understand that. I'm just glad to be in. (laughs) I'll just sit right here. No, you're a joint heir with my son. What? What does that look like in the end? I don't know. But I don't deserve it. Are you kidding me? You've been called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Now watch. That's what we have through Christ. And if that doesn't affect the way we interact with one another, we don't understand what we have in him. Would that God would just help us to become enamored with Christ. What he's, what he's done on the cross. And to know that I am forever guiltless before a holy God, and he will sustain me to the end. Yeah, I'm going to fix my earthly relationships. (laughs) You better believe it. Father, I pray for your truths to go from our minds to our hearts. God, I want to live out what you are calling us to live out. Not just to be able to teach it, but to live it out. You're not interested in lip service. You're not interested in just acknowledging the truth, but living and walking in the truth. So I pray for all of us. I know we all struggle. Our struggles may look different, but we all struggle with keeping this perspective. We struggle with walking in the spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We struggle with just spending time with you, with loving on you, meditating in your word, fasting, praying. We we struggle with all these spiritual disciplines. But God, I thank you that they don't determine our position in you. What Christ did on the cross determines that we are forever guiltless before you. But yet these things are important. We need to spend time. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to pray without ceasing. So, God, I pray for all of us that you would help us to make the changes we need to make, even this week. As a result of these truths in these first nine verses, now then, how must we walk? Holy Spirit, convict us, empower us to do change what we need to do and teach. Father, out of love for you. Out of love for you. Father, we thank you in Christ's name.